Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, good morning. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. We continue with uh, the series on ears to hear. And we have a look at the third of the churches, which is the church in Pergamum. And it's quite a, a hectic title, Repent of Your Sin. I got married in 2003, and uh, we were still back in Johannesburg, and we had the privilege of flying four hours to Mauritius for our honeymoon. And while in Mauritius, you stand in the queue at the hotels, and when you go somewhere, you begin to listen to people who might have the same accent as you. And you go, oh, those are homies, they come from our valley, let's go and greet them, see where they come from, we might know each other. And now we're in Perth. Been the last eight years in Perth, two years in Darwin, and it's great to be in Perth. And there is a beautiful picture of our city in Perth, And if somebody were to ask us, where are you from? We say, from Perth. Beautiful city. Wow. And uh, we're really proud to be in Perth. Sadly, when Jesus asked the people, or Jesus tells us in this book, and you'll pick it up soon as we read the passage, where do you live? And people would say, in Pergamum. Where Satan lives. Satan is on the throne in Pergamum. You'll see, and I'm sure you've picked up the pattern that's been repeated in each of these seven letters. Firstly, Jesus identifies something about himself. And he says, this is who I am. And then he addresses the church. And in every case except one, He says something positive to say about the church. And in all of them except two, he points out some problems in the church. But then he doesn't just leave it at the problem because he begins to give a solution. I struggle with people who come up with a problem and without the solution. And here there is such a beautiful situation in every one of these churches where Jesus says, this is the problem, but this is how you can rectify it. This is how you can make it better or solve this problem. It's not just there is a problem in your life. No, this is how it can be rectified. And it gives an invitation. But in this particular passage, twice Jesus says, Satan lives among you. How sad is that? I'm going to ask Paul to read the passage in the book of Revelation. Revelation 2, 12 to 17. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam and who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. 
Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will come, I'll soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I'll also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Thank you, Paul. Let's have a look at the character of this city. Firstly, it was a place of great learning because it had a great library. There were two great libraries in the ancient world at the time. The first one was in uh, Alexandria in northern Egypt, where there were 300,000 scrolls in that library. And so it was a, it was a city of education in Alexandria in Egypt. Then sadly in 641 AC or CE, common era, 1400 years ago, uh, there was a certain religion that took over and uh, conquered and burnt the whole library down in Alexandria in Egypt. The second biggest library at the time was the one in Pergamum, which had 200,000 volumes that people could read. And so in, in Alexandria, that library there had the papyrus where we uh, fine-tuned as what we have paper today, these parchments. But in, in Pergamum, they took skins of animals and they, and they spread them out and stretched them like that and wrote on them. And so it was a great place of learning. But no matter what you learn, it doesn't mean because you have a high IQ and a great education that you know the Lord Jesus Christ intimately. And that's dangerous, you see. Because over and over we read in the scriptures in 2 Timothy 3.7 that learning can be good, but learning of these people does not bring understanding. And if you were to go into our universities today, you get many well-educated and knowledgeable people, and a lot of them know the Lord Jesus Christ. But might I say this, that most of them are well-educated, but they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if knowledge increases, but humility and lack of God increases too. And so the more I know, the better I am. But sadly, we know that it's not because of knowledge and Paul makes that very, very clear that he talks about gnosis, which is a Greek word for knowledge. But to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he talks about epignosis, to know him intimately because he dwells in your heart and in your mind and he penetrates the very depth of who you are. And so we can go and get a great education. That does not mean that we know Jesus Christ better. And so the city was a great learning city. But sadly, Satan dwelt there. He was present in that city. Secondly, it was a center of the, the mystery cult Asclepios, which was the god of healing. And Pergamum, as I said, was known to be a religious center and also a great center of study with a university. But when the Babylonian Empire collapsed and, and it Satan moved over Pergamum and began to presence himself here. 
The Romans were pantheists. Pantheists are those who believe that there is a God in everything. Don't kill that little ant because there's a God in that ant. Don't hurt this pulpit because there is a God in the pulpit. In other words, the principle of doing good to everything and everyone. So be careful how you treat others and other things. But when you see that there is a God in it, that's dangerous. They were pantheists, but they were also polytheists, many gods. And so to add Jesus Christ in the, big, in the mix is not a bad thing because there are many, many gods and they exist everywhere. And so adding Jesus Christ in the mix is not a bad thing either. And so in this particular city, the Christians would say, no, there is only one God, his name is Jesus Christ. And we read about that in 1 Timothy 2.5. There is only one God and one mediator, and his name is Jesus. But sadly, in this particular city, they had this great God of Asclepius, who was the God of healing. And what would happen is, people would come there to be healed. And at night, when it was dark... They would put these people in a very dark place, those who needed healing, and they would put them with non-venomous snakes. And as these non-venomous snakes crawled all over them, they believed they could be healed. And if you look at that symbol up there on the screen, that's the symbol of medicine and also pharmacy that is still in existence today. It's a symbol that came from Pergamum. And so it was a cult that believed that if you wanted healing, come. We have a lot of this in our animistic religions, where you begin to move away from the true and living God, and you begin to find these other potions and move into a, where you put priority in other gods. Great place of healing, sadly, Jesus says, Satan's throne is there. Satan's throne is there. The word throne in the Greek is the word thronos, which means a place of power. Satan had a strong place of power right there. He existed. He wasn't just another god. He was pretty powerful in that city of Pergamum. Why did Jesus say Satan has his throne there? Well, we're told in the New Testament that Satan is even given a title, a title of authority. In Ephesians 2.2, 2, we read the prince of peace or the prince of the power of the air. And that word prince is a term of royalty. Archon, he's the arch, he's in charge. He's the prince of the air. And if we sit and deny that, we're going to get into spiritual trouble. And so he's the ruler. He's the one that's in control. He is in authority. And so he's got reign on this earth for a certain period of time. And folk, I find him to be very effective on a Saturday night before I'm going to preach on a Sunday morning. I find him to be very effective on a Sunday morning on the way to church. And I find him quite effective after church. Because he comes to cause havoc and destroy what God is doing in your life and in my life. May we be aware of him. Because he can easily come and knock on our heart's door. And before we know it, we can entertain him and he takes over. 
And it can begin to cause havoc in your life and in my life. In my family's life. In the life of my child. In my workplace. If I give him a stronghold, he can come and take over. And some are deceived and they think that he brings healing. But he's false. He's a liar. And the Bible talks about that. In fact, Paul warned us in Ephesians 6.12 that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. The word wrestling means we're not at war against flesh and blood. (laughs) But against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places and the rulers of darkness of this world. And folk, the word powers there, we think is the Greek word, you know, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. That's the word dynamis, dynami. But this word that's used here is the word exousia, which means there is a force and an influence. And it's a negative influence. And so Paul is warning us that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and forces and influences against spiritual wickedness. That word wickedness, poniria, it's got to do with evil purposes and desires. Satan doesn't want your good. He doesn't want my good. He wants to wipe us out. Perhaps he doesn't kill us and wipe us out, but he certainly will come and cause consternation. I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. And so God has given Satan a little bit of authority. We often think that Satan is busy shoveling coals in hell, preparing. Or he comes with red long johns and he comes and he... Horns, spiky tail, no. He comes as an angel of light, the Bible says. And you know, we read in 1 Peter 5, 8, he's like a roaring lion roaming about, seeking whom he can devour. That word devour, katapino, it means to swallow up and destroy. It's like taking something, chewing it, and swallowing it. We've got a little dog at home, Penny. She doesn't eat her pellets. She swallows them. She katapino it. Take it easy, Penny, slowly. Uh-uh. <laughs> In case I lose it. Satan is roaming around looking how he can cause havoc in my life and in your life, in the lives of our families. May we not give him a stronghold because he's there to swallow up and destroy and cause havoc. That was the character of Pergamum. But what about Jesus saying something beautiful and positive and complimenting the church? He says, my name is held true in verse 13. My name is held true. He says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. And the name of Jesus, some people held in this difficult time where there were many gods, Apollo and Aphrodite and Jupiter and many other gods. And there was a popular god for everything. But can I say this? After hearing the police commissioner on Thursday night, I thought I'd just name drop, um, here at the Pi Night, he was speaking about the, the, the tragedy of, of the destruction of alcohol in our nation of Australia. And folk, 
Perhaps we deny it and we don't worship the God of alcohol, but there's a God called Bacchus, Bacchus. He's a, a Roman God that we might not bow down to, but he's the God uh, or the Roman God of alcohol, wine, and partying. And I think he is living well in our nation of Australia. And I just thought, how much alcohol do we consume as a nation? Well, took a list of the first 30 countries, or the highest consuming countries of alcohol in the world. Belarus, number one. Moldova, number two. Lithuania, number three. Russia, number four. Belarus, 17.5 liters of alcohol per capita. Number 14, equal with France and Croatia, Australia. 12.2 liters per capita. Now, what does that mean to you and to me? Well, out of plus minus 11 million people who consume alcohol in our country, that means each of us consumes about 12.2 liters of alcohol per year, and that is about 160 million liters of alcohol in a year. Sadly, it's gone up by 6% from last year and is the greatest cause of car accidents, violence, child abuse, and neglect. But also, it's a cause of many cancers like liver cancer and cirrhosis of the liver, heart diseases, strokes, mouth and throat cancers, and also breast cancer. And so, we often think that we don't have little gods roaming around that we bow down to, but they come in different shapes and sizes. And Jesus says, be careful of these. Hold my name true, and don't allow this to be a stumbling block for anybody that you are living before. Secondly, the name of Jesus is not denied. He says, wow. What a great compliment. And the word denied, denied means to disregard or reject. The name of Jesus is not disregarded in your midst. And what does he say uh, about that? Well, every year, they would have to, the people there would have to gather together and burn incense and proclaim Caesar is Lord. And so Jesus says, I compliment you on this, that the name of Jesus is not denied. You've stood faithful in all of this. But we can also deny Jesus, perhaps by not saying that we're followers of Christ, but we can deny Jesus by being apathetic. You see, the word pathos means passion, to live for him, and he, he excites you, he makes you uh, joyous. But by just being apathetic, apathy, it's the opposite and it's just, well, you know, that's what we do. He says, listen, you've not denied Jesus. You stood up for him. Thirdly, he says, there are martyrs who are dying for their faith. So my name is being held high. My faith is not being denied. But also, there are some who are dying for the faith. And folk, if you look at the Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's a description of many who have died for the faith down through the years. And I'm not calling us to die for our faith. And if God calls us to do that, he will grace us with that gift of martyrdom so we can 
be prepared in our hearts and minds, and we accept it freely. But wow, there was a pastor there. His name was Antipas, it seems, church history tells us. And he died because he did not deny the name of Jesus. He stood up for the faith. We don't know how he died. The Bible doesn't tell us. Church history tells us that he was burnt in a brazen altar, in fire. And so they stood up for their faith. I am so, so grateful that I'm able to come to church on a Sunday morning. I'm able to come to church on a Sunday night. I'm able to go to church whenever I want, actually, during the week as well. And no one locks me up for it. May we never take that for granted. Right now, we can still do that. God forbid the time comes when we can't do that. But may we not deny the name of Jesus. So there were some good things that were said. But there were also some complications in the church. Complications in the church. Two of them, holding on to the teaching of Balaam. Holding on to the teaching of Balaam. And that's got to do with worldliness because in the New Testament, the word Balaam is often referred to as worldliness. And what do we mean by worldliness? Well, one foot in the sight of the world and one foot in the church. In other words, whatever suits us goes. Each one to his own. You live your life, don't worry about it. You know, as long as you don't get caught. And so he's saying, listen, be careful, because you're holding on to the teachings of Balaam. And Balaam was used and used Balak to go and deceive the Israelites. And after he'd received money, and this is often the root of all evil, as he received money, he changed his mind to go and curse the Israelites, but put a blessing on them. But it was too late, because his heart was sold out under the cult of Balaam. Friends, we live in a day and age where it's extremely dangerous to sell your soul, if you like, to deny the call to the things of God for the sake of worldliness. And so we live as we please six days a week, and on Sunday we come and turn the Lord Jesus Christ on. There is a danger in that. There is this new thing called the new morality, the new morality. And friends, I think it's, it's an old immorality that's been sugar-coated into this new morality. You hear, it, you hear about it all the time. A new morality. That's how it was. That's what the Bible said. It's totally irrelevant for us now. The principles and the truths found in this book are timeless and universal. And as we put them into practice, it's a godly morality. Because Jesus Christ calls us to be holy just as he is holy. To be morally pure and blameless and not put Balaam first in our lives. And then, finally, holding on to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. That whole concept of organization without acknowledging the power of God in the midst of who we are as men and women of God. And so he says, listen, you followed those Nicolaitans. And the word Nicolaitan, I'm sure you've heard over the last few weeks, comes from two Greek words, Niki, Nike, victory, conqueror, and Laos, laity. 
And there seemed to be this hierarchy where the clergy were more superior than the laity. They denied the priesthood of all believers and the Nicolaitans came in and caused segregation. And they said, we who are the clergy, the educated, are better than you, the idiots, the laity. And so they would have more privileges because they were better educated and because they were wealthy and they neglected the poor. And Jesus says, I despise that. I despise that. In fact, Jesus says in the, to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2.6, he says, there's the same problem here. You have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. But here, it's a problem. It's a problem. Jesus says, I also hate it. I hate this hierarchy. And so, folk, we respect each other in the local church and respect God's grace in one another. The word grace, chari or charis, and the word gift, charismata, the charismata. And so we all have gifts. We respect one another for our gifts. And so instead of the clergy versus the laity, you have it side by side. And we respect one another's gifts by God's grace. And so no one is greater than anybody else. Pretty strong language there. So there's a problem. What is the solution What is the action that is needed? Well, I find it in just one word. The word repent. Repent. Verse 16, he says, we are to repent. And that word repent means, listen, reconsider. Change your mind. The way you are thinking, the way you're living, come to your senses and change your mind. I thought I'd put this... Next slide up, and that might actually make sense. You'll see there are two pictures there. The one on the left is the self-directed life, where Christ is outside the circle, and I am sitting on the throne of my life. I am in charge. The Holy Trinity, me, myself, and I, I'm on the throne And you'll see there that those little dots or circles, some smaller, some bigger, are directed by myself. And that can often result in in discord and frustration and chaos because Christ is outside my life. Before I get to the circle on the right, which is the ideal, there's probably a circle in the middle where many of us can find ourselves. And that means that Christ is inside the circle But he's not on the throne of my heart. He's convenient for me. I call on him when I need him. But he's not the lover of my soul and me loving him. It's similar to what Jesus said in John chapter 21. Peter, do you love me? Do you happy me? Do you love me with all that you are and are prepared to to give of yourself for me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You're my friend. And Jesus has to ask Peter three times before Peter comes to his senses. And so there's that middle circle where Christ is inside, but he's not on the throne of our hearts. And then that third one, the Christ-directed life. Here is a chair. 
Which circle best represents your life? More importantly, which circle would you like to represent your life? Folks, the recommendation is simple. Reconsider. Repent. You've come to your senses. Change. Because before you know it, you could be in trouble. And the ideal, the best, not for happiness, but for the joy of the Lord, is that He dwells within us and directs our lives every moment of the day. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Lord, we acknowledge that we've made mistakes. We acknowledge, Lord, that we've not always put you first. We acknowledge that we've allowed you to come in and to cause some comfort, but other times, Lord, we've left you out. Lord, we've let you come into our lives, but not on the throne of our hearts. Lord, we pray that we will reconsider this and that you will come in and impact our lives, Lord. Fill us afresh, Lord, so we might serve you with all that we have. No longer apathy, Lord, but with absolute passion with who we are in our lives, in the lives of our families, with all of our existence. Come in, Lord Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.